Well, good morning. I want to greet all of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus and those who are at our Mill Creek campus. And those who are watching online, we are one church right now in two locations here at Sugarloaf, one at Mill Creek, about 20 minutes to the north of us. And if you're not attending either one of those campuses, I want to encourage you to come check out one of us and kind of see what God is doing. He's doing some great and some wonderful things. When I talk to people who are skeptics, people who just haven't bought into the whole Jesus thing, they're not Christians, they don't really get into the Christianity thing at all, one of the evidences that I, I give to them uh, is the fact that Christianity and the church has survived for 2,000 years. And the reason that's so amazing to me is because by anybody's measurement, anybody's calculation, the odds were astronomically against the church ever getting off the ground. Because usually any type of movement that lasts either has several things going for them. Either, either it has political power or it has military might, or it has financial resources, or it has the backing of the majority of a lot of influential people. The early church didn't have any of those things. They didn't have any money. They certainly didn't have any military. They didn't have anybody of any influence at the time that was backing them, and they certainly didn't have any political influence. They had no formal organization. They had no buildings. They had no government recognition, they had no political backing. Matter of fact, by the people, at least in the early stages, most of the people thought this was some kind of a crazy cult. And for nearly three centuries, they were pretty much powerless. They were on the outside looking in, they were social outcasts, they were under great persecution, they were in deep poverty, and they were oftentimes physically tortured. And yet, when you look at what happened in the first 300 years of the church, they didn't just survive by the skin of their teeth. They thrived. They, they didn't just grow by addition. They grew by multiplication. The early church became this gigantic magnet that began to draw people from every race and every color and every socioeconomic group and every gender. And the question is why? We're in a series that we're calling Magnetic. And we're examining what it is or what it was and what even today should make a church magnetic. And I said to you a couple of weeks ago that a magnetic church is simply a church made up of magnetic people. And so this is not just a series about what a church ought to be. It's a series about what you and I ought to be. We ought to individually be so magnetic in our life. We should be so magnetic because of the faith we claim we have in Jesus that people are naturally drawn to us and people are naturally drawn to the church. So we've been identifying the marks of a magnetic church and the marks of a magnetic Christian. And so if you were not here, if you were forgotten, which you may have, I can't remember what I preached last Sunday. Uh, two weeks ago, we said that the first mark of, of um, a magnetic church was what we called crazy love. Jesus said, when we love each other the way he loved us, when we love each other the way we should love, we ch should love each other, he said, that's the way outsiders will know we are his disciples. And when they see what it is that Jesus does for us, hopefully they'll want to become disciples too. So we said, number one, crazy love ought to mark our church. Number two, we said last week, straight talk is another quality of a magnetic church and a magnetic Christian. 
We went back to the book of Acts and we found that every time the Word of God was shared in the early church and every time the Word of God spread, whenever it was shared, wherever it spread, the early church grew, the early church exploded. So the church figured out pretty quickly, we better focus on the Word of God. They figured out the power source was the Word of God. And they figured out that what they had to offer that nobody else in the world, no other religion in the world had to offer was the Word of God. So we said straight talk, that's the mark of a magnetic church and the mark of a magnetic believer. Well, today we're going to look at the third quality that I believe the Bible tells us very clearly makes both a Christian and a church magnetic. And one of the things that the early church leveraged and used to draw people to the Christian faith was something that you would not have dreamed they could have and something you would have never dreamed they could have used. And one of the things the early church discovered early on that would be a magnet that would draw people to them was generosity. Now that's really kind of hard to believe in, in a way because the early Christians had, we've already said, very little. And yet, relatively speaking, they gave a lot. They didn't just minister to themselves, they ministered to others. They didn't just minister to believers, they ministered to unbelievers. They, they fed the hungry. They clothed the poor. They even would bury the dead of pagans who could not afford a burial themselves. I don't know if you know this or not, they actually started, the early church started the first meal on wheels, and at the end of the second century, listen to this, they were feeding more than 1,500 hungry and destitute people in Rome every day. They were doing what governments now do for people today. They were taking on the burden of clothing people and feeding people and loving people and visiting people and ministering to people. Now, here is the question I want to raise. What motivated the church to live with such open hands? Where did they get this idea of giving, and how did they build this culture of generosity? Because that is the third mark of a magnetic church. That is the third mark of a magnetic Christian, is open hands. People are drawn to people who give. People are drawn to churches that are more concerned about those outside the church than they are inside the church. And so what I want to do today is look at perhaps the most generous church in the history of Christianity. It was a church that became actually not only magnetic, they became famous in the town they were in because they were so generous. If you brought a copy of God's Word or you have an iPhone or a smart, uh, smart pad, iPad, smartphone, whatever you want to call it, if you've just got a gadget and you use that to turn to Scripture, I want you to turn to a book called 1 Corinthians. Not too hard to find. It's in the New Testament. Go past the Gospels and a few other books, and you'll come to a book called 1 Corinthians. I want you to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, let me just tell you this very quickly. We'll set this up. You probably have never heard of this church. It was in a place called Macedonia, which was a Roman province located just northeast of Greece. It was in a pagan area. It was, an, it was in an area that was actually extremely hostile to Christianity. And it was a church that was not only under severe persecution, here's the interesting thing, it was in deep poverty. This was not a prosperous church. This was not a church that was filled with corporate presidents and CEOs and college professors. This church was literally dirt poor. And by the way, I, I do have to wonder, I wonder if, if poverty just runs in Macedonian churches. I'll tell you why. The first church I ever pastored, up in Tick Ridge, Kentucky, was called Macedonia Baptist Church. Now, I'm not saying this was a very poor church. I will tell you this. When I went to, um, to first preach in that church, and they were thinking about calling me as their pastor, 
they were trying to, to impress me to, to take to church. So they wanted to show me the latest building project they had just finished. In fact, they paid for it in cash. I couldn't wait to see what it was. Well, I went out behind the church, and there was this white building, and I didn't know what it was. It looked, you know, fairly nice. Uh, come to find out, it was an outhouse. It was three holes on one side for the men and five holes on one side for the women. And they even had enough money to put a barber chair on the men's side. And they had a fan over it hung up there with chicken wire so you could stay cool in the summer while you could talk to men that were going to the bathroom. Now, I don't know exactly if that runs in all Macedonian churches or not, but I will tell you this was a very poor church. And it was also a poor church in a very poor economy. As a matter of fact, times were bad everywhere. Historians tell us that there was actually a global economic downturn that was taking place, much like that took place in our own world, in our own country just a few years ago, and a worldwide depression was going on. Well, one of the hardest cities that was hit was the city of Jerusalem. And Paul was going around to certain churches that he had founded and certain churches he had started in certain other areas, and he was taking up an offering for these needy believers in Jerusalem. So when you read this, what we're going to read in just a moment, when you read these, these words, understand that Paul was actually asking the church at Corinth, not the church at Macedonia, he was asking the church at Corinth what they might be able to, to contribute, because Corinth was more of a prosperous church. They, they had more of a buffer against the down times. They had some money. They had some, some, some at that time, some, some people of some means in the church, and, and they were able to give something to this offering. But the problem was, like a lot of rich people, and a lot of you may live well-to-do churches, they were kind of reluctant. They weren't real enthused about giving to Jerusalem. They felt like they ought to save for a rainy day. I mean, even though things were better in Corinth than they were in Jerusalem, I mean, still, you, know, you never know what interest rates are going to do. You never know where the inflation rate's going to go. You're not, you really don't know what the stock market's going to do. And so they were really kind of, kind of holding back, and they really didn't want to give, or if they were going to give, they wanted to give very, very little. And so Paul, trying to motivate them to, to really step up, he tells them about this amazing little old country church out in the middle of nowhere called Macedonia who insisted on giving to this offering when they really had nothing to give. And what you're going to see this morning is these Macedonian Christians were rich in things that money can't buy. They were rich in a way that many people, both rich and poor alike, don't understand. And here's why they were rich. It's not that they had a lot. They, they didn't have a lot. It's not that they had big bank accounts. They didn't even have bank accounts. But what they had, they held with open hands. And what they held in their hands, they looked at with generous hearts. And that's what made them so very, very rich. And how they gave to this offering was absolutely revolutionary. Because people with open hands are magnetic people. And they make a magnetic church. There's just something about someone or something that has what they have with an open hand, that has the attitude, if you need it worse than I need it, even though I might need it too, you can have it. There's something unbelievably magnetic about people like that and churches like that. So what I'd like for you to do is this. I want you to ask yourself three questions this morning. Just be honest. 
And the way you answer these questions will tell you not whether or not you are a person with open hands and whether or not you are a person that understands the value of being magnetic in a way of levering generosity to meet the needs of other people. Here's the questions I just literally want you to ask, and let's just be honest with each other this morning. Number one, do I understand the gift of grace? That's the first thing I want to ask you. Do I understand the gift of of grace. Now, now keep in mind what Paul's doing. There's a method to his madness. He, he's talking to the Corinthian church and he knows they've got the ability to give something to the Jerusalem church. So he's trying to motivate them. He's trying to kind of light a fire under them to, to be generous with what they have. So he brings up this, this, this example of this Macedonian church, this little country church out in the middle of nowhere. So we pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1. He says, and now brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church at Corinth. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now that raises a question. Why did Paul call attention to the grace that God had given the Macedonian church? I mean, God had given grace to the Corinthian church. God had given grace to the Ephesian church. God had given grace to the Galatian church. God had given grace to the Thessalonian church. Why does Paul call attention to the grace that he's given to the Macedonian church? Because after all, you can't even have a real church if you don't have the grace of God. Well, there was something very special about these Macedonian Christians. Because not only had God caused his grace to fall on them in a powerful way, but this church understood it. This church got it. This church understood we may not have a lot, but yet we do have a lot because we have the grace of God. We may not have the influence of men, but we do have the influence of God. We may not have the favor of government, but we do have the favor of God. And just understanding the grace of God radically changed this church. And let me tell you how we know it did, because of what he says next. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, he's talking about the persecution they were under, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, don't forget that word, we'll come back to it in a moment, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let me just call your attention to one thing. If we were to do a word association and I were to do, if I were to say to you poverty, what's the first word that come to your mind? I can tell you this, that word wouldn't come to your mind, joy. That word wouldn't come to your mind, generosity. So it's kind of interesting to me that Paul says right in the midst of their poverty, they were full of joy and they were so very generous. See, this church was developing a, 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 a reputation. They, they were developing a reputation with other churches and with people outside the church because they were giving to people who had need even though they were under both persecution and extreme poverty. They were not affluent. They were afflicted. They were not prosperous. They were persecuted. They were poor. I mean, even though for them just to survive would have been a great accomplishment. They were unbelievably joyful. They were incredibly generous. Barely had enough, ends, you know, enough to make ends meet. Probably living off bread and water. Maybe didn't even have a, very much bread at times. And yet you, when you met these people, they were full of joy. They were happy beyond belief. And they were incredibly generous. As a matter of fact, I love the way Paul, called, Paul puts it. He said they were a church of rich generosity. Now, now, time out. They weren't rich. 
but they were generous. Now, that will tell you something. You don't have to be rich to be generous. I pastored five churches, been pastoring almost four decades. Far and away, the most generous people I've ever run into in my life, with just a few exceptions, the most generous people I've run into have never been very rich people. See, generosity is not measured by how much you give. It's measured by how you give and why you give. Now, here's my question to you. Why were they so generous? There's only one reason Paul gives. They understood the gift of grace. They understood the concept of grace. They understood how generous God had been to them. They understood how good God had been to them. And, to them, and that's why they were so full of joy, because grace brings gladness. Let me tell you this. When you finally understand the gift of God's grace, when you finally wake up one morning and realize how God's grace has blessed you and how God's favor is upon you, you won't be able to help yourself. You'll be joyful. You'll be generous. Because grace will always manifest itself in giving. As a matter of fact, I put it this way. Giving is a visible sign of invisible grace. Giving is a visible sign of invisible grace. Grace. Let me tell you something. If, if I were to ask you the question, if I were to say to you, do you believe you've experienced the grace of God? Most of you would say, oh, yes, I, I believe I've experienced the grace of God. Then I'd ask you this question. How do you know you have? Well, what's the one surefire evidence that you really have experienced the grace of God in your life? You say, well, I don't know. Well, let me tell you. You answer this one question. And you'll tell me and yourself all you need to know about whether or not you really understand the grace of God and you really have experienced the grace of God. Here's the question. What kind of a giver am I? Now just ask yourself, let's just be honest. You know your finances. You know how you handle your money. I'm asking you straight up, what kind of a giver am I? Because grace is all about giving. See, when you appreciate the gift of grace, the way you should, you'll celebrate it by giving to other people. So I just want to make a theological statement. You cannot understand God until you understand grace because God is a God of grace. Now, in case you don't know what grace is, it's a very simple, easy definition to remember. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. If God gives you what you do deserve, that's justice. If God doesn't give you what you deserve, that's mercy. But when God gives you what you don't deserve, that is grace. And grace is simply giving us what we don't deserve. And see, this early church realized something that you and I, and they remember something you and I forget almost every day. And that is, we are the beneficiaries of God's grace every single day, whether we realize it or not. Here's an example. You know why you're here today? Because God gave you another day of life. He didn't have to. God created this world. He didn't have to. God gave his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He didn't have to. God offers every one of us an opportunity to be forgiven of all of our sins and receive eternal life. But he doesn't have to. Why does he do it? Because he is a God of grace, and he is a God that gives. 
And when we truly grasp and understand the grace of God and how the grace of God benefits us every day and how the grace of God blesses us every day, when we really understand that, we will want to be a gracious, generous people. God, grace generates giving. So the first question I simply want to ask is this, do I understand the gift of grace? Question one. Question two, do I desire the privilege of giving? Do I desire, and boy, that's a big word, the privilege of giving? Now, I honestly don't believe, I, every time I read about this church, I think to myself, I don't think I've ever heard of another church like this. I don't think I've ever known of another church like this. Because remember now, this is a church that are under severe persecution. They're in poverty. As a matter of fact, you know what? Instead of them giving an offering to the church in Jerusalem, there were a lot of churches that should have been taking up an offering for them. You know, when Paul talked about their being in poverty, let me tell you what that word means. The word for poverty literally refers to a beggar that has nothing and no hope of getting anything. In other words, this was a church basically made up of beggars. This was a church literally living from hand to mouth, and they had a bigger mouth than they did have a hand. This was a church that really had absolutely almost nothing. And you talk about a bad time to ask them to give anything to anybody. I mean, it was a terrible time to take up an offering. Stock market's down, economy's in the tank, jobs are scarce, price of firewood's going up, unemployment rate's growing, and this church had every kind. Listen, this church had a lot of good, solid reasons why they should have been excused from this offering. And if they had said, if they had something like, if the church had said, Paul, we, we'd like to give, we really would, and, and we're going to be praying for our, for our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, and we really wish that we could help them, and if we had it, we would give it, but Paul, we, we just can't. You know our situation. You know what we're going through. You know how we're persecuted. You know the poverty that we're in. Paul would not have blamed them. As a matter of fact, you're going to see in a minute, Paul not only didn't blame them, he's going to do something more incredible than that that you're going to see, but then we read this in verse 3. Listen to this. For I testify, Paul said, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now think about what Paul said. Paul said, let me tell you about this church. They not only gave what they were able to give, they gave beyond what they were able to give. They gave more than they were able to give. Now I, I got to ask a question there because my accounting mind kicks in now, right? How do you give more? than you're able to give. I mean, how can anybody give beyond their ability? I, I get giving, you know, according to your ability. Listen, that's how most of us give. Those of us who give, we basically give according to our ability. Here's what we do. We sit down, we get out a calculator, we get out a, you know, whatever we use to kind of figure things up, and we kind of figure out what we've got, and then we figure out what we want to have left over, and then if there's anything in between, we say, okay, that's what we can afford to give. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you give according to your ability, when you only give what you think you can give and what, based on what you want to have left over and, and based on what kind of standard living you want to have and, and, and you kind of got all this reasoned out, you're depending on yourself. But when you give beyond your ability, when you say, Lord, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm going to give it anyway, then you're depending on God. Then you're listening to Him. Then you're listening to his voice and not you and your bank account. You say, oh, how do you do that? It all goes back to grace. Let me put it this way. 
the grace of God will move you from doing what you think you can do by sight to what you believe God can do through faith. The grace of God will move you from doing what you think you can do by sight to what you believe God can do through faith. Now, if I just stop the story right here, if I just said, all right, let's bow our heads, we're going home. I know a lot of you be happy we're not going to do that yet. But you know, if I just stop the story right here, you would think, wow, that's pretty cool. That's really an unbelievably unique, one-of-a-kind church. We're not even near finished because you're not going to believe what happens next. I mean, the next part of the story, every time I read it, I'm not kidding. I just, I do this. I, I, just, I, I just shake my head. I, I still can't believe it. And you're going to find this very difficult to believe. I still find it sometimes hard to believe, but I want you to listen to this next verse. Watch this. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Now, evidently, this is what happened. Paul goes to this Macedonian church. And he doesn't really ask them to participate in the offering. He, he may have mentioned it or maybe he didn't even mention it. Maybe they heard about it. But evidently, Paul had tried to excuse them from tr to, to, to give to this offering. He had tried to discourage them. Evidently, he had gone to them and he said something like this. Look, please don't give. Please don't give. You can't afford it. You're hurting enough as it is. You can barely feed your families. You're under severe persecution. You don't even need to think about giving to this offering right now. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're saying, man, I like that kind of preaching. I wish you'd preach more like that. Okay, well, I'm not. But here's the point. He had gone to these people not to ask them to give, but to ask them not to give. He said, look, I get it. You're under in unbelievable persecution. You are in the deepest poverty. And he was trying to let them off the hook. Now, here's the amazing thing. You ready for this? He's trying to tell them, don't give to this offering and they won't take no for an answer. They're saying, we're going to give. As a, and Paul says, they begged me. They got on their knees. They pleaded for me to get in on this offering. Now think about it. They weren't begging to get out of it. They were begging to get in on it. How do you explain that? It's real easy. Unlike a lot of us, they didn't see giving as a duty. They saw giving as a delight. They didn't see giving as a burden. They saw giving as a blessing. They didn't see giving as a problem to avoid. They saw giving as a privilege to enjoy. They didn't see giving as an enemy they ought to run away from. They saw giving as an opportunity they ought to get in on. I love the way Paul wrote this. Listen, they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in this service. Now, you've got to be asking a question. I mean, you, you've got to be asking this question right now. Where did they get this kind of attitude? Where did they get that kind of desire in their heart? Why in the world... Would they want to try to put bread on somebody else's table when they could hardly put bread on their own table? Why in the world would they want to give to others the ability to make ends meet when they could barely make their own ends meet? Well, it's because of a third quality 
that will make you both a generous person and make us a generous church. It's because of a third question that I want you to ask yourself right now that they answered correctly. Here's the question. Do I see the benefits of generosity? Do I see the benefits of generosity? Now, I want to show you a key ingredient that will make anybody gracious and generous and make anyone a magnetic Christian and make any church a magnetic church. When you learn this last thing about this church, when I show you this last thing, you're going to say this, okay, now I get it. Now I understand why they were so generous. Now I understand why they had what they had with open hands. All right, now listen to this. This is the secret. This is the key. And they exceeded our expectations. Well, of course, because Paul didn't want the offering to begin with. He tried to talk them out of it. And they exceeded our expectations. How did they do that? Why did they do that? Because they gave, what's that word? Say it with me. Themselves. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. Now, by the way, that phrase that where it says, first of all, when he says they gave, first of all, he, he's not talking about time, when they did it. He's talking about importance. And see, the reason why giving everything they had was just not a hard thing for them was because they'd already given God something that was far greater than what they had. They gave God who they were. Listen, it is easy to give anything that you have when you've already sur surrendered to God everything that you are. That's easy. It's easy to give anything that you have when you have already surrendered to God everything that you are. I have the privilege and honor uh, of being married to the most beautiful, wonderful, precious, greatest woman on this planet. Every day, I, I'm serious, every day I thank God that she marries me. Now, there's one thing my wife, now Teresa knows a lot about me. Teresa knows more about me than anybody outside of God. But there's one thing that my wife knows about me, and I've proven it to her through the years. You know what she knows about me? She knows I will give her anything that she wants. If I can do it, if I can pull it off, I will give her anything that she wants. Now, another thing, thing I'm thankful for is I married a woman who doesn't want a lot, so that's a real blessing, right? So she doesn't like to shop. Thank God for that. But here's my point. For 40 years, she knows, if I want it, I'll get it. If she wants it, she can have it. I have never batted an eye on giving her anything she wanted. You know why that's easy for me? So easy, just no problem, no sweat at all? Because 40 years ago, I gave her my heart. I gave her myself. And when you give someone your heart, and you give them all that you are, it's easy to give them anything that you have. As a matter of fact, you know one of the reasons, in fact, I think it's the number one reason why she married me, seriously, is because she knew from the very beginning that before I gave her my heart, I'd already given my entire life to the Lord. She knew that Jesus would always come first in my life. She knew that I gave myself first to Jesus, and only then I gave myself to her. And see, these Macedonians had learned there's something so freeing about giving. Giving will free you from greed. Giving will free you from selfishness. Giving will free you from worry. Giving will free you from materialism. As a matter of fact, if, if you're here today, or, or you're at Mill Creek, or you're watching online, if you would just be honest and you would admit you're, you're addicted to buying, 
You, you're, you're addicted to getting. You, you accumulate stuff that you don't need. You've got credit card debt coming out your ears because you know you're too materialistic and you buy too much. Can I tell you this? There's only one cure for you. People think, oh, I know I need to get out of debt. If you get out of debt, you're going to get back into it. A lot of times, you know the only cure for all of that? Giving. That is the only thing that can break that addiction. And see, this early church, they saw the benefits of generosity. Because I want you to think about what happened because they gave to that offering. Babies survived. Poor people were clothed. Hungry people were fed. Lives were saved. The gospel was preached. People were transformed. Because this little, persecuted, poverty-stricken, Macedonian church made a decision. We want to be magnetic. We want to hold what we have with open hands. We want to leverage the grace of God in such a way that we turn God's grace into our generosity because we know that is something that will draw people to the Jesus that lives in us. So I just want to ask you a question. And I just want you to be completely honest about your attitude toward giving, okay? No need to lie about it. You, you know, God knows the truth. I don't know the truth. I don't check anybody's giving record. Don't want to check anybody's giving record. But God knows the truth. Now, this is a hard question, but here's the question I want to ask you. Am I only tipping God when it comes to your giving? Am I only tipping God? You know, the only difference between a tipper and a tither, the only difference grace. The only difference between a getter and a giver is grace. The only difference between someone who wants to get out of an offering and someone who wants to get into an offering, grace. Because a heart full of grace leads to hands that are open. A heart full of grace leads to hands that are open. And it was this open-handed generosity that as much if not more than anything else made the early church so magnetic that it grew and it drew people in explosive numbers. So now we're going to ask the really hard question. I mean the really big question and that is, are you a generous person? A am I a generous person? And so as you think about this message, we're going to draw it to a close let me just ask just a few more questions. I'll call them how questions. How could you be more generous this year than what you have? Let me just say, say right there. How could you be more generous this year with what you have? How could you make this year the year of generosity in your life? How about a who question? Who has a need as great, if not greater than yours, that you can meet? Or whom you can go find that has that need? Listen. I know there are needy people sitting in this room right now at Mill Creek and listening online. I get that. There are people that are needy, far neater than I am. But let me tell you this. If I could find the neediest person in this room right now, I promise you, you give me one hour, I'll find somebody neater than you. So who has a need that is as great if not greater than yours that you can meet? Or who could you go find that has that need? How about a win question? When are you going to start? How many of you have said deep down, you know, I, I, I'm gonna, one of these days I'm going to start tithing. One of these days I'm just going to start giving to God's work. One of these days I want to start being generous. One of these days I want to be less materialistic. 
One of these days I'm going to get less consumed with what I want to have for myself and more consumed with what I can give to others. When are you going to start? Well, let me help you with that question, okay? I think you know the best answer to that, but if you don't, I'll just go ahead and tell you. The best time to, be, to start being generous is now, here, this place. And then the last question, it's a what question. What are you going to do with the grace of God? I told you a couple of weeks ago about uh, a man named Aristides. The emperor Hadrian uh, had, uh, had heard about the early church and how it was exploding, and he was really concerned about this movement called Christianity. And so he wanted to find out what, what was it that was really, what was the engine driving this, this, this force called Christianity? Why was it that so many people were being drawn to the church like a magnet? How was it spreading so rapidly? What was the key? So he sends Aristides out, and, 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 and he begins to go to these churches, and he begins to observe these people called Christians. And I know this is kind of long, but it's so important. I want to put up what he said. These are what he said. This is what he said to the emperor. These are his words. Listen to this. He said, O king, now remember he's speaking in language 2,000 years ago. Christians have the commandments of the Lord Jesus Christ himself engraven on their hearts. They despise not the widow, and they grieve not the orphan. He that haveth distributeth liberally to him that haveth not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him as if it were their own brother. If they hear that any of their numbers is imprisoned or impressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they deliver him. If there is among them a man that is poor and needy and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. For Christ's sake, they are ready to give up their own lives. That's what did it. This open-handed mentality that said, even my very life belongs to you if you need it. I'm willing to give anything for the cause of Christ and the good of other people. I believe even the most generous among us, I really believe this, will probably look back on our lives and wish we'd been more generous. I believe even some of the biggest givers in our church will look back and say, I wonder or I wish I had given more. The richest being in this universe is the God who owns everything. And it was that God who gave all that he had, and it was that God that gave the best that he had when he gave us Jesus. How could we give any less? We're going to do something we rarely ever do. We're going to let you apply this message personally into your life right now. We're going to be very practical. We're going to receive, in just a moment, an offering. And if you believe what I have said, if you believe what the Bible has taught, if you believe the blessing that came to this church, and if you really believe that God honors open hands, if you really believe that, then right now, you ought to be saying to yourself, this is the most exciting part of the service for me right now. I want to get in on giving to the work of God. Let's pray together.